I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the channel for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night with an old favorite Dominique Fishback and back on the show this time for Swarm. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are electric in this. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks. I mean it. All right. So the first thing we do now on Ladies Night, you didn't experience this last time, is we play a game called Dicey Questions. I have a dice tower behind me and you get three rolls on the tower and whatever random questions I roll for you, that's where we start at least. Okay. All right. All right. right. First one up. I'm nervous. (laughs) All right, we're starting off with the number eight. I feel like there's nothing to be in there. Actually, you you got you got a meaty one to start here. And this is one of my favorite questions. It's called high low. Okay. Can you give me one audition high, but then also tell me about an audition low and how you overcame it or what you learned from it? Interesting. Audition high. I think audition high had to be um Project Power. Uh, I was like I had to do chemistry tests with Jamie Foxx and I was so nervous and the audition I had to uh, be really emotional. So I didn't know if I wanted to like show my bubbly personality or like just be in character. And like as my car pulled up, Jamie's car pulled up and I came out and I just said, Mr. Jamie Foxx. And he was like, oh, your energy's crazy. And he gave me a hug and then went into the audition. Uh, my character raps in a movie that he asked me if I rapped. I said, no, but I'm a spoken word poet. He said, go on, do something for us then. So I get up and I do an original poem called Ode to My Hood about Brooklyn. And they just like loved it. And then I didn't get the part. So maybe that's a law. I did not get the part originally. (laughs) Wow. How did I not know that? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So I didn't get the part originally. And then a whole month later, I got a call from my team saying, actually, they do want you for the movie. It didn't work out with somebody else because of scheduling conflicts. So they want you to come to New Orleans. And I thought I was going to be in New Orleans for like a month and a half. I was there for four months. I was really thrown. So I guess that's a mix, but it ended up working out. (laughs) I can't imagine that movie without you. And obviously that role without you, that's something else. Um, I might try to work that in later in the conversation. All right, you got your second role now. Yes. 
All right, we're moving over to a number five. Oh, you're getting all my meaty acting questions. I like this. I call this one favorite, least favorite. What is your absolute favorite part of the acting process? Prepping for a role, uh, rehearsing, putting your costume on for the first time, but then also what's not necessarily your least favorite, but a part of the process where you see room to grow for yourself and you're eager to tackle that. Oh, uh, I'll start with the one that I'm eager to like grow from. I think I'm such a, I'm, I'm, su I'm such a mommy's girl. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm so close to my family. I'm one of 19 grandkids, and uh, it took a it, it was like a long. My family makes jokes like they didn't expect me to ever leave my mom, my mom's house, and go places. So to have to go away and film for four or five months at a time, and you leave everybody that you love and your home and the things that make you that help you to feel grounded. So that's kind of hard, and I'm I'm navigating that because as I do more things, it's gonna be you know touring and going to different places. Uh, around the world, so I just gotta kind of get used to that and find kind of home within myself a little bit more. I share that challenge with yes. you. I'm a, I'm a big baby, finally ripped the bandaid off a couple years ago and moved to LA. Nice. Now I That's still go great. home as much as I possibly can, which you can still do as much as you want. Exactly. Um, and then the other question was um, Your favorite part of the acting process? Mm, honestly, my favorite part of the acting pro process is finding out just as just how much I could get into a character. I think a lot of times we, you know, as an actor, like, I think I could do that. I want to do that. I hope to be able to do that. Then you get the opportunity and you're like, oh shoot, can I do that? And then you kind of go through the process and you find out at the end that you could. Or maybe it wasn't right for you, but either way you learned something. Oh, I'm going to follow up on that now, actually. Of all of the roles that you've done thus far, which one had you doubting yourself the most that ultimately you wound up pulling off? Uh, I mean, we'll see about this. I don't know if I've pulled it off yet, right? Like, I've only seen two episodes, but I will say you pull it off like spectacularly thus far. <laughs> Thank you. I, yeah, I guess it would have to be this one. I had to get out of my own way about things, like perception, how it would look. When I was in college, I remember uh, I had to do this play and they wanted my hair to be natural for the play. And at that point, my hair wasn't. And I was very nervous about going natural. But then I told myself, if I have something that the character requires and I, I don't do it because of how I'm going to look, then I might not be doing my job very well. <clears throat> so I take that for this as well. I, I keep making a joke like, dang, I wish I would have met my husband before this. So you have to be scared of me. <laughs> I respect that thought on that, though. Um, you have one more role in the tower. Okay. I can't believe my cat has not lunged for that die right now. Uh, <laughs> we are ending this with a number two. This is a fun one that pertains to Swarm. I'm calling it Pricey Tickets. What artist, sports team, event, whatever whatever it may be, are you most likely to overspend on? <laughs> um, yeah, that's such a funny, it's such a funny question because Dre is such a, like, a stan and I just never really been one. I, the first concert I ever saw was in 2018. So imagine like going most of my life without ever seeing a like concert. Like ever, ever? Ever. <laughs> what was it? It was actually Jay-Z. <laughs> 444. And I did the music video. So that was like a, it was like a, a deeper connection and just going to see one. But I would have to say, I love J. Cole. So I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably just want to buy a ticket to see J. Cole. Rock solid choice right there. <laughs> all right, let's get into the meat of our conversation. My first question for you refers back to pretty much all of our previous conversations because you've always mentioned vision boards. And the last time we spoke, you were telling me about how your vision board making process has evolved and you started to make them using a PDF format instead. So mm -hmm. it was making me wonder mm -hmm. over the last, I guess it was two years, 
How has your vision board making process evolved, whether it's from the tech side or yeah. just personally for you, what's been going on them lately? Well, it's so funny because for the last about six or seven years, I made a vision board at the end of a year to go into the beginning of the new one. Maybe by like January 3rd, I'm normally finished with it to say this is it. But for the first time, my vision board, I didn't finish it and I didn't feel compelled to like throw stuff on it to like beat some kind of time clock. I just was like, you know what? I did this and I'm just gonna wait it out and, and see. Um, but yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm more open to not, not controlling things and letting, letting it flow and seeing what happens, I think. So we'll, we'll see, maybe next year I'll go back to it. That's such a good, a good answer to that oh, though, you. because I'm, I'm someone who's constantly in fear of not finishing things being a bad thing. But yeah. I think that sometimes not finishing things is prioritizing what's most important to self at a yeah. point. Yeah, and, we're, and like in other ways I'm, I'm working on myself. So maybe this is the first time where the vision board will, uh, I will kind of guide the vision board as opposed to the vision board guiding me. In some kind of way. And this might be the seventh one. They said seventh is the year of completion. So maybe it's a new way that I'm going to start doing some things. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. I appreciate that. Right. All right. I also always love bringing up somebody who studies their craft at school. It's the right path for some, not for others. Yes. Everything is okay. So you got a BA at Pace. I did. Looking back now, what is something that you learned from that program that you you still find yourself using and referring back to? But on the other hand, what is something that like all the schooling in the world never would have prepared you for when you hit your very first professional set? I will say the thing that school can't prepare you for is uh, like hitting your mark. Like we don't talk about that. I mean, the camera's here. You have to walk and not look down and like talk to somebody while it's moving. And you, like you, there's a mark there that you have to hit without looking at it. We don't talk about that. I think we probably should practice that a little bit more in school. Um, the art of like being a movie star versus being an actor, I think that's different. And I think that's important too. A lot of times in school, because they, I think they want to ground you in the craft, they say, that's not important. Fame's not important. Celebrity's not important. And maybe it isn't, but there's also, if you ignore it, then maybe you're not prepared for when it comes. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so, so interesting. I think, uh, but what I love about school um, that I think, I just, I, I think is honestly like knowing your peers and seeing how they evolve and how you can evolve together. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, I second Because otherwise it, it's so singular friend. and you're so, it's such an individual experience that imagine me, for example, I did, I was in a theater company and in the same theater company, Dominique Thorne, who plays Riri, uh, Riri Williams, and yes, holla, shout out to her. She's from Brooklyn. She was in the same uh, youth company theater that I was in. And so now to like kind of look across or be in rooms with her and be like, oh, we came from the same, like the same childhood essentially, not exactly, but like the same theater company. And that means a lot. So I think it gives community. Whenever someone on this show mentions somebody else's name that I admire, I always like put a little pin Yay! and I'm like, soon in the future, I will insist on getting her on the show. Yes, please. So going back to what you just mentioned about celebrity, what would you say is maybe the biggest misconception about wrapping your brain around celebrity versus just craft that you wish more people knew about? Um, there's definitely glamour in the industry, like being an actor. It's glamour you get to wear all these cool things and see all the cool people and go to the premieres and things like that. But also, it's not like, you know, you do 17-hour days on sets. 
you sometimes do six day weeks. Like and you're like, you know, doing Transformers, like I'm really in the jungle. Like being afraid of like, I don't know, poison frogs and things like that could kill you in an hour. Like there there those it's real. It's acting, but it is real and it does take a, a toll. And so sometimes I think one of the hardest things is you know, we want to act when the camera says, when it says action, but you also end up acting outside of action because if, let's say, I'm, I'm sad today, something happened, but now you have all these people looking to you to give them a good experience of having met you. And they're not wrong for one that they've admired you, they've watched you. It's, it's, you know, they want to feel good by meeting you and also you're a human. So to like act on action, then say cut, and then have to act again and make sure a whole swarm of people, swarm, no pun intended, <laughs> a crew, like, like, like a, a whole crew of different people that, you know, they just want to say hi. And so you try to give them everything that you got and then give everything that you got on screen. And that's not always easy. I, I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. I appreciate your mentality about it. This has become one of my absolute favorite ladies' night questions to ask. I'm so happy you're back, so now I can ask it to you. So to highlight all the different types of processes there are out there, can you tell me about one co-star where the second you hit set, you were immediately in sync, but then I want the opposite, someone who challenged you to adapt and maybe try something new and for the better? Um, <clears throat> I'll say I'll say Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, I think it's probably he's probably both answers, right? Because... With Daniel, I had to learn, like, there was a scene that I really wanted us to, like, work on that shock, like, shock of the director, right, to, like, pay a little closer attention to, and, um, and, and he had to focus on everything else, so I remember we were about to do the scene the next day, and I was like, I don't think he's right yet, and I talked to Daniel about it, and he agreed, and he was like, oh, I'll talk to Shaka, and I was like, when? He was like, tomorrow. I was like, tomorrow? But we shoot it tomorrow. He's like, yeah, sometimes when people are, sometimes they can only focus on the thing that's right in front of them, and you'll be able to, they'll be able to hear you at that point. And I was like, okay. And so in the morning, I'm in hair and makeup, and I'm like, did, did, Shaka, did he speak to Shaka yet? Did he speak to Shaka. And then I had to say, Dominique, he said he's gonna do it. Let the man do what he says he's gonna do, and he did it. And we got to work it out. And so that was a, a way of like, it it taught me how to approach um, directors and writers at a more opportune time, I guess. You know, which is before it would have been along the lines of like the vision board and like trying to control. Like, no, I need if we get this answer now, then we'll then it'll be out the way. But no, sometimes people just need it when it's the time. Bringing up uh, Judas and the Black Messiah makes me think of another question that I, I bring back fairly often because the idea of having like a breakout performance in Hollywood often means one thing to the people watching it happen compared to the person that's actually going through it. And I know you won a bunch of breakthrough uh, awards and got nominations for your performance in that movie. So what would you say is one misconception about what it means to break out in Hollywood, but also what is something that did change for the better because of that? Oh, I just the idea of like, like how many times can a person break out? You know what I mean? Like, are you do you keep breaking <laughs> out? You've been doing it for ten years or nine years? Like, uh, am I still breaking out? Uh, but um, I think one of the what was the other part of the question? Like a misconception about it, and then something that actually did change for the better because of it. Yeah, something that did change for the better because of it is. Uh, um. I just think it's like the audience that you touch. I like could go to different places and 
Um, I think one thing is like being in New York and I all summer I decided to ride the train because I was like, you know, maybe when Transformers comes out, maybe I won't be able to do it as freely. Like, what, like maybe my life will change. So I was doing that and then people would be like, oh, hi, good to see you again. And they think that I'm like some old friend and I'm like, good to see you too. And then sometimes they'll catch it and be like, oh, sorry, sorry. But otherwise, and I think that, I think maybe breaking out changed that idea. There, there's something really sweet about it being from the the old friend angle. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I feel like. It's like they think, oh, good to see you again. Or I know you from, we did this project, we did this poetry thing, and I'm a poet. So it could be that, but it's normally not that. But it's weird, too, because I don't want to be like, oh, you saw me in Judas? In the, like, you start listening. You don't want to list things off because that's kind of weird, too. So then you start staring at them, like, to help them figure it out. It's look weird. It's kind of weird sometimes. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a, another big, broad question. I had just done a movie that had a writer's block component on it, in it. So it made me think about this question, but can you give me an example of a scene that you were having a really hard time cracking? Basically, you know, the actor's version of writer's block and then tell me how you overcame that challenge or what you needed to do to figure that scene out so it made sense to you. Mm, I can't even think right now. I think I feel like there's so many. Um, ultimately, when I feel like I can't crack a scene is because I'm not, I'm too afraid to advocate, I think you know, or to just speak and ask a question. You know, uh, I think if it ever feels like that, the only way to overcome it is to talk about it. That I feel like that goes in life in general. But if there is a scene and I'm like, uh, doesn't work out, but maybe they had already decided that it was going to be blocked like this and the lights are here and the camera's here. Now you don't want to be the actor that comes in and like, that doesn't really make sense, but you have to. And if it doesn't change, that's okay. But at least you spoke about it and you don't have to go to sleep being like, did I miss a moment? Did I, could I have better whatever for the character, you know? Oh, now I'm curious. I know you said you couldn't think of any examples, but even if it's something recent like Swarm, is, uh -huh. is there an example of a time when you, you knew in your, yourself that you needed clarity or needed to change something? You did find the courage to speak up and it changed the scene for yeah. the better. I mean, I think... Over, I think overall there's been so many in that. But, for example, the dancing aspect in episode two. Uh, originally, there was supposed to be two dances, the one where she's really silly, you know, about it, and then the other one where she's actually good at it. And then, at a certain point, the one where she was good at it or better at it was taken out, 
And I thought that it had to be back in um, because it actually contributed to the to the storyline. You know, it would have been a plot hole because those girls were kind of, those they were bullying her. What other reason would they have to have her come along to be where she needed to be in order for the show to progress? Otherwise, if they would have just invited her out of the blue without at least her showing a confidence or showing that she can get money or whatever, then it would kind of seem like it was put on the character to do it as opposed to it coming from the character. And with the second dance, it earned her a bit more respect from the dancers to then have them invite her, which then cleared a plot, uh, cleared a potential plot hole, I think. Oh, absolutely. It's also absolutely vital to see those smaller moments of growth to ensure yes. that she keeps evolving in a way that you could believe throughout the yeah. season. And it was important to me uh, for her to be able to go, when you see the rest of the, the season, there's so many uh, levels of uh, energy, feminine, masculine energy that she incorporates in, in any character or version of herself that she's being. And I think within doing the silly dance, the silly dance, and the better one, you can see that she has more autonomy and control over what she does. Otherwise, with the with the one dance, I feel like it might seem like everything is happening to her and she has no control. So she's just so unaware. But it's actually scarier that she can turn that little seductive one on and then decide, you know what? I don't want to do it like that. But now as an audience member, you're like, well, she can't do it like that. You know what I mean? So... I think that's Speaking cool. about advocating for yourself, I was reading that originally you were approached for the role of Marissa, but uh -huh. it's you who pushed to play Dre instead. Yeah. So what was it about the character that inspired you to make yeah. that move? And then how would you go about convincing the creators to actually make the switch? Well, I didn't. Ha the good thing is I didn't ha have to push. It literally was like, Donald was like, if that's the role you want, that's the role you get. And that, that was like, oh, wow. Cause I thought, okay, maybe I have to audition for it, but that was the answer. And I, and it was like we were on the phone, so I got up to him and I was like, wait, did I get the part or did I not get the part? <laughs> or was he just speaking, just be, or did he say? Like it was like I was confused. Um, but I told him that he was like, well, why do you want that part? And I said, well, as an actor, I never want to catch up to myself. You know, I don't even want to know what I'm gonna do next. Um, I think about myself as a child and watching TV and saying, I want to be a versatile actor, and what does that mean? And I have to go to the inner child who wanted to be an actor, who watched Monster with Charlize Theron, or watched Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank, or, you know, or, or watched um, Heath Ledger as a Joker, or whatever it is, and wanting to do character work, and finally being able to get the opportunity to do that was exciting and it was scary. It was not an easy thing for me to do. Once I got it, I was like, oh man, what did I do? I don't even know the rest of the series. I don't know what I'm gonna do, what am I doing? Like, you know, and I had to journal myself and identify points that were scary to me and why. Is it a real fear to me or is it a, a social idea or social um, uh, fear that I'm putting on? Like, what is somebody else gonna perceive? What are they gonna think about me? Those type of questions. And if I, if I do that, then essentially I'm allowing myself to get imprisoned by my own artistry. And I, I could not risk the chance to do that. So I had to yeah. risk it another way. I had a feeling you were gonna bring up the journaling for this role and I can't even imagine I did what not, journal I did like. not go there. No, I did it for myself. I did it for myself to identify and clear any blockages that I might have in order to play Dre because we are not in the line in any kind of way. And normally 
I am with my characters, I can say, oh yeah, I understand that completely. You know, and that's, it has been easier. But this one was a different challenge. Okay, so sticking sticking in non-spoiler territory, this might be a challenging thing to to answer, but between all of those, you know, extreme decisions she makes, and maybe just her headspace in general, is there any particular, you know, corner of her life, her backstory, or a choice she makes in non-spoiler territory that you found most challenging to really wrap your head around and, you know, justify as the person who needs to bring her to life on screen? Um, honestly, I didn't wrap my head around any of it. I didn't try to justify any of it. I just tried to be present in the, like, in the moment of, because I, you know, I didn't do a lot of writing on the script. I didn't do all the stuff that I would have did, the psychological work. I didn't do that because there was no way to track her psychologically to me. So that wasn't the way to do I had to just clear out my own judgments of her and potentially of myself to, to be an actor to do it. And then uh, allow myself to be present listening to the other actors. And just knowing that she makes the decisions that she makes and then moving step by step with the decision that she makes and not thinking too much about the decision. The finale was probably the hardest for me when you guys see the finale. That was definitely the hardest moment of everything for me. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. Honestly, I can't even imagine based on what I've seen. I'm, I'm so eager to see more. I have one spoiler question for you, but I want to add in one more non-spoiler one before we get there, because you're also a producer on this. Yes. So how did that credit come into the equation? And having coming having come out of it now, what would you say is an important thing for you to do as a producer that you only realized because of this experience? Oh, that's good. Um, honestly, it was like Janine asking me, Janine neighbors asking me like, well, what do you need in order to do the show? And I said, I need to be a producer on the show because for me, the type of actor that I've always been, and again, I would, do, I would do the same work regardless of that title, but I know that I contribute a lot to a story, to the characters. I never just care about the arc, the arc of my character. I care about the entire project. Um, and so with this one, where it was really gonna be Dre, Dre, Dre the whole time, then I knew that I was gonna be putting in a lot of work and a lot of care and that, I, that I'm deserving, I deserve it, <laughs> you know? And, and that was something that I had to, like, oh, you don't wanna ask that, you don't want, you know what I'm saying, stop playing small. It's like, we have one life to live here, we might as well do it big. Do it oh, big or go keep, home, baby. <laughs> keep embracing it, and I believe you will. All right, here is my one spoiler question. It will be uh, labeled appropriately so it doesn't ruin anything for anyone, but okay. a spoiler for episode one. Please tell me everything about doing the scene immediately after Dre kills Khalid because I mean, there's just like a million oh things God. happening and there's so much like the expression and the energy and the emotion is just bursting off your face in that scene. You know, it was great. So importantly, I had one of my, my friends, an actress name is Monique Coleman. She's been my friend for like 12 years and she knows me and we've been through so many things together. So I needed, I wanted her, somebody who knew me to be on the set that day. Um, I later asked as a producer to ask for a therapist to be on set for every, for everybody, not just actors, not just me, crew, for everybody who needs it because, you know, although it's acting, we don't know what can trigger somebody. So wanted to make sure that there was support in that kind of way. Um, and Monique came and she was like grounded. She was just a grounding force for me because, you know, it's acting and also you give yourself over. Like you, you, I wanna, I wanna tell a story fully. So I just wanted to make sure that I was spiritually good with somebody who loves and cares about me, knows me. Um, so that was important. 
And then, and so she was there that, that day. Um, I did not want to be in the same room as Damson, like, while, while we waited. Like, that was also important. Because I, I love Damson. I think he's a great actor. I think he's a, a great energy, a fun person. But I also think he understood, too, because we kind of kept our distance that day. Normally, we're like, oh, we're playing. And then this day, we kind of just kept our distance from each other. And then the other thing with the energy. So that shot from, was done in one. It was done in one shot, in one, in one take. And I remember it was a big discussion because if any part of it was off, then it would essentially cost us about an hour, maybe 40 minutes to reset to get it. So I remember Donald was talking to the AD and they were discussing it. Like, did he want to risk it? You know, did he want to risk losing the time and not getting a shot for this one shot that he really wanted? And then ultimately he decided that he did want to risk it. And he looked at us as the actors and was like, okay, everybody, look, this is, this is what we need. This is how we need it. You know, we have to go through because otherwise we're going to lose time. Um, and I said, I said, consider it done. <laughs> and then, a risk well worth taking. My God, what an effective scene. Yeah, and then I always I ask Donald, like, what's up with the pie? I don't understand the pie. Like, I really <laughs> didn't understand it, you know. <laughs> but it was like you know, maybe an insatiable hunger that she has that, you know, was the answer. But again, too, I think that as the creators really wanted it to be like, whatever you whatever you think it is, then it is. You know what I mean? Like because even me as an actor, I can't say why Dre did what she did. You know, I could only say that there, I was saying that there's something called repressed memories. And at one point in the series, she tells a story and then you hear the story a different way. And you don't know which one is true. And I can't tell anybody which one is true. Because I think Dre probably suppressed her own memories so much that even I didn't have access to it. You know what I mean? Like something like that. <laughs> oh, this is so fascinating. I want to revisit uh, after I've seen the whole season and ask about so many things. Um, we always like to look ahead to the future. And obviously for you, the future includes a Transformers movies. Yes. I I love watching those movies for, for the action and the effects. But I also really appreciate when the characters have arcs and some complexity to them so is there anything you could tease in that particular department for your character in addition to the big spectacle of the film i could tease that the same way that i approach maybe like last days of Ptolemy gray or any other project is the same way i approach transformers it was no different i remember when i was talking to stephen capel about it and i said listen stephen i'm the type of actor that i i want to give notes or i have questions or the, he was like, give, you could give your notes at 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't care. And I said, okay. So I like it was one point I gave him pages and pages of like notes and ideas. And not everything was, was taken, but some things were. And I feel like I could be proud of I don't haven't seen the edit yet. But I feel like I could be proud of the fact that I advocated for different things that maybe necessarily wouldn't uh, normally be thought of in an action film or the Transformers. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> That answer justifies my extra enthusiasm when I heard about who was involved in the new Transformers movie. Sweet. Thank you. <laughs> right. I got one selfish Transformers question because I love all storytelling. Horror is my number one genre. And I've read a couple of quotes about how the Terracons are going to bring horror to the Transformers franchise. So can you kind of tease what kind of horror and maybe to what extent we might get that? Mm. I don't know about that. I, I think Optimus Prime might have a problem with that. So I <laughs> that's, a, that's a very appropriate answer. I'm very excited for that. I am so excited for people to experience uh, where you go in Swarm because yet again, 
powerhouse, pitch perfect work. You are something you. else. The ladies night door is always open to you. I appreciate you. Thank you. It's always so much fun to talk to you. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.